Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast, the first episode of the year. So happy new year. I was going to record a, a, an episode earlier, but uh, I didn't want it to be a solo episode where I usually rant and stuff. I wanted the first episode to be kind of like a like an interview, like a kind of like a more happy uh, episode. And I found the right person for it because we've been trying to do this fucking forever, man. <laughs> Yes, yes, we have. How's it going, man? I'm good. It's good to see you. It's good to see your new hair. Yeah. Uh, yeah I haven't hair. seen you in person in a while, and I see you with your cap. Yeah, usually. Um, that's what happens. There's, there's a transition period where we try to kind of hide it. We're not sure exactly what the look is going to be, <laughs> so we're trying to discover, but I'm, I'm okay with it. Now. You look tough. You yeah. look tough, bro. Yeah, that's it. The look I'm going for is like a scary look. Like, I don't want you to mess with me kind of look. When you walk into the bar, the bouncer is scared of you. Right? That's, that's exactly, exactly what we're going for. For, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you, buddy. Um, and for everyone watching or listening, Alex uh, Ramacheri, old friend. We're going to talk a lot about politics. We're going to we're going to we're going to dive into that because you have uh, well, not now. I mean, you've had this kind of interest in this job in this field for a long time. And when I created the podcast, like the, the the whole point of the backstage was specifically to talk to people, not necessarily in politics, but in any walk of life where you're kind of behind the scenes. Right. Contributing right. in your own way. Uh, and I wanted to bring that to the fore and to talk, you know, to the different people about, you know, their experience and uh, what they do and why they do it. And obviously because, you know, we've been working politics for so long. Uh, when you can get a chief of staff to come <laughs> leave, you know, the non-existent schedule, <laughs> there's no such thing as a schedule, uh, or free time for that matter, uh, to come to, to, to the studio. Fuck. It's, uh, it's great. So, uh, glad, glad that you're here, man. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I don't know if you're going to introduce me to the, your listeners, uh, but I'm chief of staff for Minister Fitzgibbon. I started in 2018 when the government was formed. Uh, but I've been in and around politics at various levels since uh, well, 2002 in a mm. more active role. But I did my first campaign when I was five years old with my family on the Plateau Mont-Royal. So I've been uh, into politics for a long, long time. Okay, so I was going to ask you um, how that whole involvement, uh, involvement started in politics because I knew that you were involved. First of all, let's just go back. We met... Uh, in was it 2008 or 2009 when it went to 2009, Israel? 2009, I think. Yeah. There was a, a young leaders delegation, whatever, that went to Israel. Super good trip, uh, amazing experience. Um, I can't remember how many we were, maybe about 10 12, or 12 or yeah. something like that. Uh, and that's where I met you for the first time. We were actually roommates. Um, and I think a couple days into this whole trip, the organizer told me, oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, he used to work for the, the, the PQ. And I'm like, shit, man, he's cool. Like, <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't know people. Despite, the <laughs> despite what I thought of these people. <laughs> what? There's cool people over at the PQ? I didn't know that. Uh, and and uh, oh, it's cool, man. And since then, uh, we've kept in touch. We've, um, uh, we've had some, uh, some, some good moments. And so, yeah, so I wanted to ask you, this whole thing, like, how did it start? Like, you're talking about five years old, you started on that plateau. Were, were your parents uh, involved at all politically, or were they uh, well, active? more or less. My, my um, I come from a, uh, an Italian family with um, a German grandmother, and my involvement in politics starts with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather died. My mother's father died before I was uh, born. And my grandmother had barely worked um, when she was young. And when he died, she had three daughters to support. So she uh, had to find a job. But back in the day, it wasn't easy just getting a job like that when you were in your 40s or late 30s. Right. So she went into a community organization that she knew in the, on, in the plateau, uh, the Comité <coughs> Logement, Comité Logement Saint-Louis à l'époque. And uh, she was hired there by a young André Lavallée, who later ran for the RCM uh, with Jean Doré. And uh, when André ran, my family, my whole family supported uh, him, obviously, because he had given a chance and a job to my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And later on, I wanted to do an internship 
I uh, worked for uh, André Boisclair. Mm -hmm. I think we're not going <laughs> to delve into that too much today. <laughs> but I worked for André Boisclair. It was a great experience. And uh, without knowing, I came into the office and my supervisor was André Lavallée. Okay. And he later became my boss. So, um, wait, André Boisclair, this is when he's the leader of the PQ? No, when he was a uh, minister, he was minister of... Uh, Municipal Affairs and the Environment, he was also a leader. Mm -hmm. He had a big job, a uh, huge cabinet. And uh, back in the day, there was a lot of interns. Uh, everyone had to have an intern. Every mm -hmm. minister had to have an intern. It was a great experience. And um, so I, it came full circle. And uh, that's when I got into politics. Right. I, I, I loved it. And uh, I stayed on. Uh, when my internship finished, they offered me a job at the, at the cabinet. Mm -hmm. And I stayed until the election in 2003. And that's when uh, we all know Jean Charest came into power. Yeah. Uh, Je suis prêt. That, that, was, the, that was the thing. I, uh, here's the thing. What I discovered, and I've said this many times on the podcast, I, I came into politics completely by luck. Okay, The, the person that I worked for, I, I knew him from before. He needed someone Greek to kind of you know, take care of certain aspects of the office, especially with links with uh, the different communities in, in, in the writing. And it's while I was working there that I realized that there are so many avenues for youngsters to get involved, whether, you know, through college or university, different political associations, uh, youth wings, whatever. I had no clue, man. I was oblivious to these things, you know, despite the fact that I studied politics. And this is the weird thing because, Even while studying politics, I felt that I'm going nowhere with this. Like, what is this? Like, what am I going to do with this? But I stayed because I found it interesting. And luckily enough, uh, I ended up getting a job. But that's when I realized that, shit, there was all these things available. And I, I, I had no idea. Were you at all involved with, you know, youth wings or different political organizations? Not not very much with the PQ. I My first steps in politics were all with... Uh, the municipal level. Mm. And I always was fascinated by Quebec politics. Um, and it just, I stumbled on it by luck, uh, meeting André Boisclair's uh, chief of staff in an event and uh, just going for it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting and I, I went for How it. How old are you at this point? I was, that was uh, 2002, so I was 21. Mm -hmm. and, and now I'm 42. Yeah. <laughs> He looks 30, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Look at this young Still stud over hair. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wanted to get a haircut before coming on here because you have all these cameras, but yeah. didn't have well, the time. Wanted find to, the time. Wanted to look good for the show. Um, let me, let, before we get on, because I, wanna, I want people to understand a little bit how it works behind the scenes. We've, I've never had a, a chief of staff on. It's a huge responsibility. And on top of that, it's a huge cabinet, especially after the last election. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to what I was telling you before. And the reason why I'm like... Shit, this guy's cool, man, from the PQ. You know, and it, and it opened my eyes, and this is why I love that trip, despite the fact that we went there for another reason. You know, you get into politics, and you're so, like, zoned in, like, politically, the program, the ideology, and you think that the other people across are, like, your sworn enemies, right? And you realize at some point... When even remotely you step out of that bubble, because it's a, it's a, it's, it's a fucking bubble, yeah, let's be honest, that they're just like you and there's cool people that you can sit and have a, a beer with or chat with. And the reason why I always fucking loved sitting down with you is because it was never really so much about politics. It was just stupid things that guys just talk about whenever you go grab a beer. And that I didn't find that so often like, and maybe it's because of me. I wasn't that, that much into the ideology. It's because you love beer, man. It's also <laughs> that it's also that, but it's, uh, Like, I didn't dive, like, you know, I, I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. Like, you would go to all these conventions, and everyone was like, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, Philip. And I was looking around, and I'm like, why am I not like these people? Like, why am I not partying? Why am I not celebrating? I always had this very, like, uh, obviously, you know, you, 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 you follow the party lines and all that stuff. You're involved in politics, so you got to go with the, the flow. But I was never like a fan like i wasn't you know like the the, the big fanfare like yeah the, the cheerleader kind of oh, thing you know and that's why i always love sitting down with you because i felt that that was gone like it was like fuck that shit man we're not there anymore let's just have a beer let's just say stupid things that guys talk about talk about anything else uh, and i always appreciated that and i i don't know that this happens 
with a lot of people. Like there's a few, like maybe if I think hard, I can maybe get maybe one or two handfuls of people that I can relate that kind of experience with, but yeah. it doesn't happen very often. No, it's true. You're right. Because, you know, when I was never the most enraged partisan either, uh, and I think most people who work in in governments and uh, political staff or in parties, they're not that partisan. There are obviously here and there are these people who are very, yeah. very, they're, it's in their blood. It's in their blood, and they like the fight, and it's okay. It's you you need you need a very variety of people in a in a party to make a party work. Yeah, but I think a lot of people in government, they're um, they love they want to contribute to Quebec, Quebec society being better. Mm -hmm. Then you connect with people about making your world better, your city better, Quebec better, Canada, whatever. Uh, And and there's some form of respect that. that comes with that the desire to contribute to Quebec or to, to whatever. Um, and then there's people you get along, there's people you get along in your party, and there's people you get along in other parties. Obviously, if you're not a partisan, you're not going to connect with people who are very partisan. But you might connect with people in other parties that are not partisan more than you would with yeah. people who are very partisan and, in your and, own party. And it does happen. Like, I have of seen course, it. Of course. And especially, and you know, a lot of people look at the question period and they're like, fuck, what a circus. You know what I mean? But behind that curtain, a lot of people are friends. They go, they eat, they drink together, they, yeah. they collaborate. Yeah, oh, the M&As, obviously. And they, they connect, and they talk, they have, especially the ones who have been in parliament for, for a while. A while. Yeah. They, there's a respect there, and some they're isolated because they're always or they're with their gang, yeah. with their group, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, and I'm not gonna name names. And this guy is close to that person. Ah, oh, it's too bad. But <laughs> the ones, the ones, I think, I think a lot of people who are uh, in and around government, they know just you just feel it. And you said the question period is a circus. I think it's a necessary circus. Yeah. You know, that's, that's why I call it um, the circus, the necessary circus. But it's also the only thing that is remotely kind of appealing, right? I mean, it's where the debate, the exchange, nobody sits to watch commis- the, the committee work, where the actual work know. actually I, happens. Maybe some of you listeners, I, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's um, the committees, they can, they can get partisan, though. Um, yeah, but, but it's usually, it's see, what, what I was talking about before about the collegiality, this is where you see it in the committee work because most of the bills that are passed, it happens pretty smoothly in committee. Like they yeah. sit down, they exchange, they negotiate. If there's amendments, they're going to do it, except, you know, in the last minute, the liberals fuck that one up. But uh, <laughs> I don't think they understand what amendment means. But <laughs> <laughs> insider there for the people that follow. But um, yeah, in, in general, things work out smoothly. And that's something that I obviously learned. And I'm like, it's not what people are told, you know? People think that we come here, put the gloves on, and fucking beat the shit out of yeah, each other. Yeah, it out. But I, th- I think 99% of, yeah. of articles and, and bills are passed without issues. Exactly. Know? Obviously, when a, a new commission starts on a new bill or a bill that's been a bit more uh, debated, there's going to be a little showboating yeah. and, you know, arm flexing. That's fine. Um, and it's not... I, I'm not saying that it's just the show... But I, I think it sends a signal to the population that a party thinks that this or that bill is important and they want to they, they make a stand on it. And that's fine. Um, I think it's the best way that the parties and the, the MNAs have of signaling that something is important or that they disagree with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not to say that every single word should be interpreted in a, a literal sense. Mm-hmm. You have to put it into context, and that's why you have political anal- analysts and commentators such as you or, or um, people that go on the radio with, the, with daily uh, comments. Uh, and these people are there to make sense of that whole thing. Uh, it's easy to get lost in uh, just the game, and you have to go back to the issues. But but making sense of the game is important. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're basically they're translators of politics. You are a translator of politics. You help people understand what it what it really means when someone does this or that. And um, yeah, is it easy for you to be objective? I found that no, no, eh? no. <laughs> keep 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 going with that. No, because uh, see, I found that. While I was working, um, there was this duality, like just constant battle in my mind about what are we doing and why are we not expressing it the way that people should Mm -hmm. have that information, right? And this is what 
politics is, right? You try to spin it your way in order to win, you know, the 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 the, the popular support. And I realized that coming out of that bubble, and it's not to say that, and obviously everyone knows my colors. I ran as a candidate. Like, I mean, there's no secret here. But coming out of that bubble made me realize that, what the fuck? Like, come on, man. You know, there 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 there's the line, and you can you can you can pivot on any you know any way you want. But at the end, and this is why. I, I love this podcast because it gives me the opportunity to just explain to people, regardless of the party. And yeah. it, it, it's funny because a few people from the party they send me messages like, "Dude, what are you doing? Are you uh, are you with the CAC now? What the hell? How are you supporting the PQ?" It's like, dude, I'm not supporting anyone. I'm telling it as it is, which is what yeah. people should yeah. <laughs> have as information, right? You know, I've had the quote unquote privilege of getting in and getting out of politics a few times. Yeah. Four times So, uh, so Sorry to interrupt you. I wanted to get to that, and it's good that you're bringing it because, and we're talking about the bubble, and now that I'm out, I'm like, fuck, what? Like, it's such a brainwashing thing that you're in. Yeah. And thankfully, like, you know, this is not to tap myself on the shoulder or anything. I always had this presence of mind to be objective on many um, things. But it's, it's tough. It's very difficult. But in your case, where you've been in and out, private sector or um uh you know public sector you've always come back and I've, i and i always wondered how do you go out and come back in <laughs> knowing what it is when you're in <laughs> yeah exactly or well, the opposite knowing how it is when you're out we all say politics is a drug and we'll i, get, it, I it guess is. we'll get back yeah. to that afterwards but you know your you you were your first question was about um objectivity yeah and when you're going in, your your first months in or in a re-entry, uh, you're like in outer space and normal yeah. world, and then you gravitate slowly to politics, and then you start your your descent. Before you hit the ground, there's a moment where you still, in the first few months, you still reason rationally like a person that's not into politics. But uh, at some point you just get into that the vibe and i think it's necessary it's a kind of strength that holds the people together um gravity uh where you have to get with the program because it's you, you can't agree with everything that a government or a party says or does mm -hmm. all the time that's impossible mm -hmm. but once you're in there you have to get with the program you have to support um your crew and you have to defend them like in a very small circle obviously you'll open up but but in a very not much larger circle you have to defend your your crew and your gang it, otherwise you go yeah. crazy it, it, it's like a family right you you're not always happy yeah at the end of the day you love everyone and you just want the family unit to just stay a unit and yeah. you want everybody to be and together no one criticizes my family outside my family i criticize my family as much as i want yeah, in yeah. my family yeah behind closed doors it's all, outside, all hell breaks loose exactly and outside <laughs> i don't want to hear about it you know it's it's kind of the same thing with a political party yeah the crew holds together by supporting one another uh but on the outside, you have to defend everything that your party does and, and your government does. Which is always fascinating to me whenever there is like a, a, a change of leadership or whatever, you kind of see the cracks. And yeah, and, and I'm going to get back to the Liberal Party over here because for the, I'm not, we're not going to say the first time, but in the first time since a while, you saw this instability where normally the garbage never came out publicly mm -hmm. and the last year was just so humiliating and even the last couple of months where they just couldn't fucking get their shit in order right <laughs> and it's like dude just figure it out you know what i mean and i went public on this i was like you have 19 people how can you not figure it out you know like how crazy is the caucus at this point, right? And people don't understand that there's so many dynamics. You just come out of a campaign, which was a horrible loss. People don't understand. There's a lot of new people coming in. So there's all this mix happening at the same time. And there's so many uh, uh, moving parts. But at the same time, it was all just thrown out in the public. Like, yeah. here, here, you know, here's what we are. I always loved uh, pirate books and stories and, and movies. 
And when there's no captain, I mean, <laughs> knives are out <laughs> and everything gets tough. So that's that's what's happening. I'm not going to criticize the liberals or, or no, the no, no, no. We're not criticizing because this could happen. Every, I mean, we've been seeing it, it was for years it with was, the PQ. It was an obvious shit show. Yeah, oh, for sure. But w- yeah. the thing is that, and uh, as as much as the liberal party throughout the years managed to keep those things behind closed the contrast, doors, the contrast was the PQ, where it was yeah. always like, "Fuck it, I don't, we don't care." There was always a battle. The the contrast between the very organized liberals of the past and the very disorganized liberals of the present is what is... That was the most obvious thing, exactly. Because people were so used to seeing like this well-oiled machine where, yes, there's issues, yes, there's fights, and God knows I've seen many of them. Publicly, though, it was like, look, this is the party. We're all here for the family, right? For the unit. And we're going to support it and whatever. Very rarely did things really happen to rock the boat. I mean, I think the last time was when Fatima Uda Pepin was thrown right. out. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. And for me, because I've only been there since 2000, only, I mean, 2007. I mean, there's, you know, a long time since. But since I started, there wasn't that many issues like that, right? No, no, there, you're going to get. And again, that happened in, a, in an interim leadership. It was right after the, right, the election. Right, it was right, with right, Jean-Marc right, Fournier. Right, yeah, right. Again, it came out when there was no real leader at the helm. Yeah, and when you have a strong leader in politics, it changes everything. Um, you see Poliev with the, with the conservatives mm-hmm. now. It changes the, the dynamics of the party. It changes the party as well. Yeah. You know, the leader imprints himself on the party, and that's okay. And it's the way the new unity is reformed. Well, yeah, because at some point you gotta, you know, trace the road and say, look, this is what we were, but you know, we're going this direction, and you gotta follow me. And of course, people aren't gonna like it at first, uh, but eventually, you want everyone to kind of follow that line. Exactly. And sometimes when leaders change in a party, you get marginal shifts, a few mm-hmm. percents here and there few issues that the positions uh, change on sometimes the shift is bigger and when the shift is bigger then that's when you get instability and uh, or or maybe the liberals are heading towards a more uh left-leaning uh policy or program and it's clashing and if it's going to clash with some of the liberals uh, of the past and some of the liberal policies of the past and in that change that's going to generate instability that's Mm -hmm. for sure yeah Tell me a little bit about you because I got to know you. You were involved with the PQ. Um, and I always thought that, okay, I, and, and I remember even um, with Pauline Marois, you were helping out uh, uh, Mr. Pelado. So in my mind, it was, you know, you're, you're, you're part of the PQ. And then in 2018, the CAC wins. I had no idea what you were doing during that campaign. But then I heard through some, you know, some common friends that, oh, you know, Alex, you know, he's with uh, Pierre Fuse again. I'm like, what? Alex Ramacheri, Alex. I'm like, oh, really? What the fuck happened there? <laughs> I was. Um, what happened? How did that look? Obviously, Legault came in and grabbed a lot of people from the PQ. Some, I don't think he had any liberals, but well, the ADQ. There were some guys. There are liberals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have colleagues who were uh, former liberals. Yeah. So he kind of uh, merged both kind of. Yeah. Parties. Attack is a coalition. Yeah. And I always like like. My, um, I, I started working at the Chambre de Commerce in 2009. I always had this appeal for uh, economic development of Quebec. I think it's been a, a steady um, element in my career. And I always thought that the uh, Mr. Legault's program of economic development and the catching up of Ontario, it's been debated about um, a lot in the last year, whether it's a, it's a good target but I think it's it's a direction, and I always like that direction. And I thought that the economic policies of the previous governments, of or of many governments and parties in the last years, did not appeal to me. And that was what I thought was very very appealing to mm-hmm. me. And I thought I could contribute to it. And I didn't just want to go into government. I wanted to join and be able to contribute to that economic agenda. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do, so that's what I did, and I'm very, very happy with my decision. Obviously, I had a lot of friends who uh, who were at the CAC, and uh, I was very comfortable with the policies, so uh, I went. But I wanted to do that specifically. I didn't just want to go into government. What about the the people that you know that were in the PQ that were former colleagues or friends? How how is that reality? Like when you make this decision, and of course, you know the decision is yours and yours alone. And if you're happy with that decision, I'm happy as well. But 
again, going back to what we were saying about how it's a bubble, and when you're in a party, like there's this whole partisanship that comes in, and you you you've you fought a war with well, a war, you fought a battle with the party, and you've campaigned with them, and then suddenly. You know these former colleagues or friends. They see you go to another one. How yeah. uh, how was that? Was was there any shock at all in there? I mean, did anyone come and confront you? Like, what the fuck, dude? What's going on? What happened? Some people did, yeah. obviously. Um, but you know, the the I see Quebec with two large political families. The Reds, they've been in the same party since 1867, mm. the Liberal Party. The Blues, though, have had many uh, forms and many parties and many iterations, the Conservatives, the Union Nationale, then the PQ, now the CAC. And there's some form, it's not the same party, obviously, but there's some form of continuity there. And it makes sense for a lot of people when you put it in historical perspective um, that the, these people would transition. Mm -hmm. So if you were at the PQ at the beginning of the PQ, 1970 or or the first election, uh, first government election in 76, you didn't get to the transition, obviously, because you started mm -hmm. way, way back then. Yeah. But if you're active in politics in these periods of transition, you transition. René Lévesque transitioned from the liberals, from the liberals yeah. to the PQ. So uh, I think the people who've had this, uh, a bit more of a political experience and see... Um, see that continuity of, of the blue tradition in Quebec, they understand. Obviously, some people are very partisan and they, they, they've had stronger reactions. But since since the my move, a lot of other people have made the move. And people who've criticized me in the past have made the move afterwards. Right, so <laughs> right. Uh, I think now the question is not as uh, sensitive as it was uh, in 2018. But uh, I did get a few comments, and you know what I found interesting, and, and I think that uh, I think that François Legault played his cards right because he he he, you know, he bet a lot on the regions, and he won. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, he he won his bet, and he completely decimated the PQ and the Liberals also from from uh, for, from the regions. The contrast, though, and this is what I want to talk to you a little bit before we get to your responsibilities, because I want people to understand exactly what it is that you do, and you know, the kind of the day to day. Um, I feel like there's been this contrast because of the support that he's gained mostly in the regions that we're seeing kind of this transition towards, you know, the regions versus the cities kind of thing. And after the last election, and many don't agree with me and it's fine, but I mean, I look at, you know, what the facts are and even the Liberal Party has been reduced to a regional party, whether they want to accept it or not. It's a fact. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you're not gonna yeah print up a map and you know, yeah, yeah it's not map. because you have one seat out, <laughs> you know, like about an hour, not even forty minutes out of Montreal that you're you're a regional party. That's not the that's not the case. So you've been reduced to the to 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 um, to a regional party. Um, obviously, it's 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 the big metropolis, it's Montreal. But the rest, though, uh, do you feel like there's this thing between regions versus cities because? It's definitely been a challenge within the Liberal Party of how do we, you know, you know, how do we kind of orient ourselves now? Where, where, where do we position ourselves? Because we have the regions with these demands and then we have the cities that have what appears to be completely opposite uh, demands. And I feel that François Legault has really, you know, you know, hit that nail where he's like, this is where we belong. We're well camped over here and it's issues that divide the rest of the parties. Uh, well, it's a tough, it's a tough question. I, I think, um, and, and I, uh, Pierre is a minister for uh, regional economic development as well as other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we, we talk with people all over Quebec. I think there's a sentiment of, of distance. I wouldn't say alienation, mm -hmm. but there's a, a feeling of distance from the, the decisions of government that a lot of people in the regions have, um, that has not been addressed by mainstream politics yeah. for, for a while, except by the CAC and by Mr. Legault. And I think um, this, this notion that the, the, the CAC is a, a party of uh, benevolent populism is, is close to the truth. And it's, it's about talking to the people, talking about their issues and talking about their regions more than um, actually dividing Quebec between... Mm -hmm. 
regions and cities. So when, when you talk about local issues, people in the regions will connect more. It's not about opposing mm-hmm. regions to cities. It's about connecting with, with, with these, these people. And I think for, for better, for worse, the liberals and the PQ have, have been in the last years, uh, parties of elites either economic elites or uh, ideological elites or whatever, uh, intellectual elites more than I- ideological. And that has changed the way they talk to certain people, mm-hmm. parties who are concerned about being right or parties who are concerned about representing some some subgroup or some demographics. That changes the party. Uh, I think a, a political, political party, in order to have success, has to talk to a lot of people mm-hmm. and make people feel included in government decisions. It's about getting people to trust government for better or for worse in Quebec government is every everywhere mm-hmm. like you have to have uh, government permission or government permits to do a lot and we're trying to cut down on that but um, since government is ubiquitous then you have to have trust in government and re-establishing that trust in government has been a lot of what the CAC and Mr. Legault have done and I like that about the party. You know, it's interesting what you're saying about talking to the people. And um, I, I just feel like the last maybe, I don't know, five, eight years, it's gotten very complicated. Because when you're talking about talking... That's because you're getting old, man. It is. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're cha- the perspective changes. No, but when you're... And you're absolutely right that you, you, there needs to be there needs to be developed this way of actually reaching out and talking to the people and understanding the real challenges on the ground. But the more you do that, the more that you realize how diverse Quebec is. It's enormous. It's huge. So when you're trying to bring in a bill, like Bill 96, for example, which maybe in the region in the regions make makes 100% sense, to the big cities, like you know Montreal specifically, it makes absolutely no sense. And it's tough to balance that. Well, I don't want to comment Bill 96 too much because I'm not an elected yeah. like, official, obviously, but I think, um, well, the the debate, the media debate about Bill 96 has completely deviated the sense of the bill, which is a an evolution of the charter of the Bill 101. Um, but fundamentally, I think the Premier, François Legault, and the party feels that we need to protect uh, French language in Quebec and North America. So your perspective on the bill is going to be directly correlated to how you feel the French language is going now and going to evolve in North America in the next years. If you feel that it's fine, it's going fine, it, there's no threat, and it's not <coughs> such an important thing that you need to protect it, then... Obviously, you're going to oppose Bill 96. And if you think it needs protecting and we're not doing enough, then you're going to support Bill 96. So Bill 96 is, à la limite, it's irrelevant. It's it's about how people feel about French that's important. But th- that's the whole point. People in the regions feel completely different with the way people feel, for example, in well, it's not for example. I mean, it's primarily Montreal, where you have um, most of your Anglo community, um, and I just feel that on that specific issue, it's taken like a right or left kind of approach. Like, there's mm-hmm. no middle ground. I don't know how this. But the is actual text of the bill is pretty balanced. It's pretty fair, and we've said, well, the ministers in the previous government said. Uh, in on numerous occasions that they were willing to to see how it would evolve, it would evolve, and and we were ready to to, to have some form of flexibility in the bill, and then amendments were introduced then, and it made the bill um, more balanced. And I think on the whole, when people will have the experience of a few years living with the bill, and it will be adjusted by mm-hmm. time and the courts and everything. People will live with Bill 96 as comfortably than they live with Bill 101 now. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, your job. Chief of Staff, uh, not just to any minister, uh, probably one of the biggest cabinets, I think, especially following the last election where you kind of... Health is bigger, but... 
still. Yeah, yeah. Health, uh, yeah, obviously health is the biggest. Um, but when we're talking about the influence and the impact, uh, Pierre Fitzgibbon has has a lot of weight on his on his shoulders and especially sure. following the last campaign you also um uh absorbed energy as well which created a little bit of a of a ruckus in the news and even you know hydro quebec and we can talk about hydro quebec too but um are you managing the entire cabinet or are you more uh focused on for example regional development or just the economy you're at the helm of the entire cabinet yeah the entire cabinet Pierre Fitzgibbon's cabinet is integrated uh we're integrated with the deputy at uh, um minister delegated minister what's what's minister yeah. in english it's a delegate minister delegate yeah. minister anyways um so we're fully integrated with the uh, de- delegate minister's staff as well so i managed the whole thing the two cabinets basically who do you have uh christopher, christopher Skeet. Skeet. exactly He's great, great guy, guy by the way great, great guy. guy yeah yeah um and uh, yeah so montreal energy uh, econo- regional economic development and standard economy and, and innovation they're all under the same um the same cabinet which i manage um I want to I want to get to COVID uh, because that completely turned Fun. things upside down, Fun. and I want yeah I want I want to get your uh, your opinion on this because obviously you had a huge role to play in, in that whole policy. <clears throat> but before I get there, I just want people to understand the challenges not only of working in a cabinet because that's complicated uh, in itself, but to actually manage the entire cabinet, the day to day. How it like obviously you like it because you're doing it. But give everyone like an idea of your uh, of your day to day and how busy that schedule is like. Well, the people who've worked in government, or your listeners who know government, will know. But your day starts with the media coverage in the morning. So you read the papers. You need the you read the revue de presse, and then you listen to the radio at the same time. Looking for hunting stories. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you write some lines. You answer the the emails that came in during the night or late uh, on the previous day you do all of that while you take care of your kid uh you brush your teeth and and you tie your your cravat for the seventh time because you can't get this but <laughs> not right um so you you do all that uh some a lot of cabinets have stand-up meetings in the morning just five 15 minutes uh discussing the issues we have one um reunion de keep team meeting at nine o'clock on monday and then Basically, it's meetings, and uh, there's a lot of days where it's back-to-back meetings. Uh, today, I'm I'm a little more free because uh, the minister is in Davos at the World Economic Forum. Um, so you're having fun while he's not exactly, around. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's early, still early in the in the year. This week is not as uh, quiet as last week was. Starting starting to be a little <laughs> more crazy. Uh, when I turn my phone back on, I'm gonna have beep, a beep, lot beep, of beep, messages yeah, yeah. and texts and stuff. But but basically, you you uh, read the paper, you find the stories in the morning, and you adjust in the early morning. If you have question period, then it's about um, detecting the whole issues that could uh, produce a question from the opposition, <coughs> and uh, writing lines on that uh, on that issue. Uh, Pierre is pretty autonomous with uh, with the way he works, so we feed him with uh, uh, and fish mm-hmm. with a, a note. And he redoes his own lines, and then he goes into uh, into Parliament. And then if he gets a question, you know, usually it goes well. We're pretty happy. Doesn't get a question, we're like, oh well, we worked for nothing. For <laughs> nothing, but, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. And then there's a lot of meetings with the civil servants, with the with the department. Uh, so I'm the chief of staff. Usually I meet with the um, deputy minister. The political advisors, they meet with the assistant deputy ministers. Um, sometimes we have meetings all together. Sometimes it's me with the deputy minister and the minister. And there's a lot of meetings with uh, the office of the premier. There's a lot of meetings with other departments as well, usually political staff. And obviously a lot of people want to get some FaceTime in with uh, with staff. How early does the day start and how late does it finish on average? On a parliament day, it's a little bit before six. Um, on a day before a Conseil des Ministres, I'm going to have materials to read as much as I want and, you know, 
it, it's it it could not end <laughs> at some point you just put your phone down or put your ipad down yeah and you stop yeah so it depends on on that sometimes you have events obviously with covid and post covid a lot of that of a, a lot of the events have gone so you have more time to work on your stuff but before covid we had a lot of cocktails uh, événements de l'association de this or that which was uh, very time consuming mm -hmm. um, so you had to organize your time a little differently now events are starting to come back but they're not as as uh, as it was before yeah, yeah not the same thing let's talk a little bit about covid uh disastrous uh for everyone obviously uh completely changed our way of life i want to know politically from your end what kind of headache that was or a puzzle to just make sense of it all well that's t it's a tough question because we're political staff we're political appointees and we're in government to do the politics of the minister of the party of the leader of the party the prime minister and mr Legault. but during covid we had to be state officials uh, we had we had a direction which was inspired by a group of people around uh, Mr. Legault and uh, the Santé Publique. And we had wanted to be coherent with that policy. We had alignment with uh, the finance minister with regards to what amount of money we could spend because our issue was supporting businesses. Yeah. But it was never about politics or partisan politics. Mm -hmm. It was about doing the right thing and being coherent with, with government. And there was such, I'm sorry for my French, but such so much commentary and listening to the media uh, ask questions every day to uh, to the politicians made a lot of people realize how well, things yeah. really are. Uh, but what what we had to do was think of of Quebec and us at the, the Department of the Economy was think of Quebec's economy and businesses going forward. Thing is, we didn't know if this thing was going to last two months or, or two years. So we had to have flexibility in there. We had to be quick. You know, couldn't uh, discuss mm -hmm. it and uh, go, go uh, consult and, and everything. So we had to take decisions quickly and, uh, and adapt. So adapting was, was basically our thing. Uh, we came out, came out with policies. Uh, first thing we had to do was that structure of, of businesses that had to close. I don't know if you remember, but we had a sequence of, of businesses that had to close down. Mm -hmm. We quickly came to a stronger lockdown than in other jurisdictions. I think the health um, bilan in the end is pretty good because of that. Uh, but then we have to have a, a sequence and then we have to have businesses that could remain that were essential. That whole essential business uh, that was my next question was, was yeah. really how tough frustrating to was that from your point of view or from for, from your position where you want to make sure that businesses are okay during this tumultuous time mm -hmm. and you can't deliver because the word from the other colleagues which are managing the health are telling you no dude this is you know the hotel industry closed restaurant industry closed like everything is closed and people are knocking down your door dude we we need to get these businesses up and running and your hands are pretty much tied you can't do anything no i i, I think that <coughs> at the first uh during the first lockdown there was a sense of that we need to close down and uh even the sectors that we closed down in quebec that were not closed in other uh provinces or, or countries collaborated very well with government um the the tough thing was i feel was that in quebec we're used to clear rules we like rules and systems that are yeah absolute A direction yeah mm -hmm. uh but in that very odd situation of covid and of, of lockdown and of essential services or, or businesses you have you had to have judgment and uh common sense and appealing to people to make their own decisions um, and not be scared that the police would come and find them to, to death uh, was tough because people like very clear mandated government decisions. And uh, obviously there are so many specific cases that you couldn't tell everyone to do what you wanted mm -hmm. to do and you had to trust people to make their own decisions and i think for a lot of people that was tough so 
we had uh, the food industry was open basically so because people need to eat but some businesses had food that they sold but they weren't primarily mm-hmm. an épicerie right yeah, like a, a Walmart grocery store mm. so Walmart was a case but we sorted out Walmart fairly easily at the at first and then we had some stores that had sold leftovers of of other stores some of it was food some of it was pants some of mm. it was lawnmowers you know so you 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 have to tell the people obviously lawnmowers are not essential mm. pants you know they can be pretty useful on a day any, any given day and obviously food is essential but if you sell 1% of food 2% of pants and 97% lawnmowers you're going to close down yeah so where's that 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 call you can't have a percentage oh if it's 2% you're open if it's 1% you're closed you had to have some flexibility and intelligence and obviously most uh, store owners wanted to stay open oh, for sure and thought they were important. So it wasn't about just getting the business some for some it was, but it wasn't just about getting more business and being able to to to, to do good in that in that period. It was a, a genuine sentiment that people thought they could contribute to the fight against COVID and they were important. They they were essential. Telling a business you have to shut down because you're not essential, you're not important mm-hmm. is really tough from a mm-hmm. government perspective and it's really tough in a political perspective. So this whole episode was really really difficult. You know for me for me what I found interesting was the the the, the way that people transitioned because you're right in the beginning there was this huge wave of solidarity. Let's go. We can do mm-hmm. this. Let's you know everyone follow the, the the direction that the premier was putting us on. Um you know everyone contributed in their own way. But I feel like the last year or maybe the last six months, I mean when we, everything opened last April, May somewhere around there those last six to eight months were were, were were very bad. I mean, people were just doing whatever. I, I know personally people that were like, you know, fuck that shit, man. I don't care. I'll do whatever I want. Let them come in. Let them do whatever. Like there was this, you know, pe- people were just tired of fed being up. told what to up. do. And yeah. And that's normal, man. I mean, at first people were scared and they were looking for some form of guidance and they were a little more docile mm-hmm. to use a word. That was used <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... It's okay. And at some point after months and years, people feel that they have enough information. Uh, they've they've heard the guidance, they've heard the instructions, they've heard the mandates, and they're going to take their decision, right? So if it's mandatory to wear a mask to go in public transit, you have to wear your mask. Mm. But then there's other types of situations where the instructions are more open and there are more suggestions and... Um, That's where we've had difficulty well, in Quebec. Well, what also screwed things up is that there was mixed messages coming in from other provinces or even around the world where the health directives were different, uh, the, the policies taken were different, and it, it just made no sense at some point. It's like, how are we... Uh, like, like for, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, a specific example. Like, the business were allowed to reopen, but there was a maximum number of people going in Uh, so they had to wait outside and then you had to wear a mask, but like, and it, it, at, at, at some point it made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. A lot of people said, uh, that we need to better communicate this or that decision, but at some point you're communicating every single fucking day, yeah, yeah, yeah. more information and more information. And this type of store is going to open. If you have 2,500 square feet, you can open And If you have less than that, you, you have to have a distance. You have to have a but, take. Yeah, but what made no sense is that so who comes a, up with this? Like what, what, what's the thing between 2,000 square feet or 2,500 square feet? You just had to pick one. You know what I mean? Because you can't have absolute rules for everything. Yeah. You can't have studies for everything. If you wait for studies for everything and during COVID, you're not going to do yeah. anything. Everyone's going to die and your hospitals are going to crack up and blow up. You have to take decisions. You can't have a, a study or, or a peer review study for every decision that you take in government, especially during a crisis. So obviously... Every government in the world took different decisions and approaches. Um, and everyone got criticized based on other people's decisions. Mm-hmm. People in Ontario criticized the Ontario government based on the Quebec government's decisions, mm. which we don't know or, or that the, most people don't know. But Quebec's example was used throughout Canada and in other jurisdictions to say, oh, you're, we're not doing enough because 
a lot of Quebec was maybe more on the strict yeah. um, part of the axis of the, if you had to have a graph of, mm -hmm. of, of governments. But a lot of people said, well, in Quebec, they had less debts because blah, blah, blah. Uh, we should have done this and that. And we would have less debts. But every government is adapted to its people and to, to the party that runs it, obviously. But but to the, to the intrinsic nature of its population and, and of its people. You couldn't manage Texas the way you managed Quebec, yeah. obviously. And it's normal. So there was never going to be a governor of Texas that would shut down Texas the way we shut down Quebec with the consequence and impact that these decisions had. But yep. it's okay. We've all adapted. And I think most people in Quebec were fairly comfortable with the general direction that the government took. Look, see, here's the interesting thing, because I would talk with a lot of people and they're like, this sucks. Nobody's happy. And then, yeah, COVID sucks. No one's happy. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, so it had no, no, to no, suck. But the, 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 it the, was going to suck the, for sure. The, the argument was that, and you know, I have a lot of friends and different people that would talk to me. They're like, dude, this is wrong. It's like, nobody likes this. And I, and I was like, well, it appears that they do because when you're looking at the numbers, <laughs> exactly. there is a high <clears throat> satisfaction. And obviously, you know, we can fall into the, 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 the whole rhetoric of the media. Like, you know, how do they conduct surveys? And it doesn't really matter. It was just that it was a frustrating time. And I, many times I thought about you and I'm like, Jesus Christ, managing a cabinet <laughs> at a time of crisis like this must be like, is he even getting any sleep? The kids, I guess, like, but I want to get back to the cabinet um, because there's this debate that has uh, that has come up in the last year or so, specifically linked to your boss, Pierre Fitzgibbon, uh, because of the links he has with businesses. And there's this whole concept, and I think I I, I did a podcast on this uh, a while back, on whether or not business-oriented people or you know people that have links with business should be doing politics. And obviously, this is an argument that comes from the left. Quebec Solidaire is all over this, which for me makes absolutely no sense. The idea is to get the very best yeah. to contribute. Yeah. I've always supported that. Uh, and uh, But it comes down to the fact that someone like Pierre Fitzgibbon, who has this reputation uh, and, and this, you know, this huge network of people that obviously have done business with government and continue to do business with the government, and a person like that decides, and let's be honest here, guys, He's not doing this for the money. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, I, I know what elected officials get paid, and you can figure that out. It's public as well. He's clearly not doing this for the money. But there's been this very thin line where this guy with this huge network is involved in the economic department linked to quite possibly, you know, business that he's worked with before or that he has connections with. And it has spurred this huge debate on whether or not people like that should be in office. And you know, there's ethics violations and stuff. I mean, it's public. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to go down that road. But I, I just want to pick your brain on how it is to manage that boat when you have all these things surfacing, and you have a guy who is obviously very competent uh, at the right position, but faced with this growing rhetoric, mostly from the left, where it's like these people cannot be in politics anymore. It's embarrassing. Uh, it's it's bad for governance and all that sort of thing. Like, mm -hmm. how do you how do you juggle that? Well. First of all, let me say that I think that a parliament should be representative of the diversity of the population. And I think a quality government has to have diversity of experiences. Mm -hmm. Any parliament or elected body should have people uh, from the left, from the right, uh, older, younger, um, social experience and economic experience. That I think for me, that's the uh, a, a healthy democracy has that diversity in its parliament, and so that means having people like Pierre Fitzgibbon uh, be in in government. Um, when I came in, I knew that working with him would be different than working with someone who's been on salary his whole life. Mm -hmm. Whole life, uh, I was fine with that. Uh, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. No one, well, no one knew because he was kind of an oddity. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a co the contribution of the the people who come from the business sector uh, has uh, it has huge importance in a parliament. And I'm going to work and continue working in politics and having uh, 
putting effort into making that sure that politics remains attractive for these people because otherwise you cut yourself off from um, a, a portion of the of the people who can really really make a difference you know the, the the frustrating thing here and it's not frustrating it's it's mostly the hypocrisy that you have in politics and again this is nothing new i mean everyone knows this if you were to rewind you know before 2018 and you told quebec solidaire that a guy like pierre fitzgibbon is interested in running <laughs> under your banner i can bet my house that a guy like gabriel nadeau dubois would never say no 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 no. this guy's a business guy he doesn't belong in politics there's no fucking way in hell that they would reject a guy like this i, I don't want to speak for gabriel nadeau dubois but for sure having a strong economics figure in any party is a plus mm -hmm. The question is, would a person like Pierre Fitzgibbon go over to Quebec? So, yeah, it's completely like, hypothetical, <laughs> and we know that it, 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 in a logical world, it would never happen. But the argument is that you're bitching about something that you wish you had. And maybe, look, maybe they have very competent people. I'm sure they do over there. But fuck, man, this is what I hate specifically in politics. You're complaining about something that you you would love to have. Like, what's the issue here? The well, fact that this guy, and, and I get it. There's a line that you can't cross. That's why there's an ethics uh, commissioner there. Um, and, you know, evidently we saw that, you know, he, 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 he's crossed that line. But that, that's one thing, and it should be handled. But to take that and to suggest that these people should be banned from running, it's ridiculous to me. I, I think you said he crossed the line. I, I don't want to be too partisan there, but I have to say that, the line was designed in a very specific context, not having in mind people with the well, that kind of, of background that have investments. Yeah. Exactly. So I've I've made my 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 uh, disclaimer there, uh, but but you know, going back to the question question period before we said it was a necessary circus. I think governments and institutions adapt with these vigorous debates, and it's a good thing that we have debates around people like Pierre and like others. And they make our institutions evolve. Um, and at some point, maybe ethics rules will be different or better adapted or will have some form of flexibility mm -hmm. given to uh, various officials that can make these situations more adaptable to the necessity of having these people, the business people, come into... Contributing to politics. Exactly. 100%. Um, how did you feel uh, about absorbing the energy sector into this department because there was a lot of stuff being you know uh, said in the media the, um, the 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 director or ceo of hydro quebec was very vocal uh, she was against it she thought that uh, you know we're going to lose our control we can't just you know think of hydro quebec uh, you know in a in a profit based uh, strategy that pierre fitzgibbon thought he was going and is she she went off uh, on that kind of tangent. Finally, things seem to be okay. Now we found out last week that she resigned. But just for you as an administrator to know that you're picking up a huge department, which is, I mean, energy in Quebec. I mean, this is one of the things that we're mostly proud of. And now you're assuming that responsibility. Yeah. How was that? Well, as a manager, you have to make sure as a political strategist and advisor and manager, you have to make sure that your team is ready. Mm. And it wasn't, so much that we took on energy is that we had a program that came in with, there was a logic to uh, merging the two. So we had a program and ambition. So as a manager, you have to get ready for that. Uh, you change the structure of your cabinet, you hire the right people, you look for talent. Um, in the in this morning's um, political commentary on, the, on one of the radio outlets, someone said that, when you're in politics, you're constantly a headhunter. Mm -hmm. And I thought that made a lot of sense because you're always looking for the types of people that can help you internally, externally. And you're at, at, as a manager, when, when you hire people, you're constantly interviewing people and meeting with people. So I had to get the right talent in the right places for the program that we wanted to deploy, which is very ambitious. Um, and so, and it's tough hiring people in, mm -hmm. in cabinets. Uh, salaries are constrained um, by Conseil du Trésor rules and everything. So it's when you ha want to have some people who have a, a deep background in a sector, sometimes the offer that you make is not going to be 
the, the money is as not appealing. Yeah, exactly. So you have to have uh, a lot of people who are going to make a sacrifice when they come into government in terms of, of money. Some some are fine, but a lot of people have to take uh, pay cuts when mm -hmm. they come into government. Convincing these people is sometimes it's yeah. a bit hard. Uh, leave a few uh, thousand dollars on the table is not too bad, but uh, when it's more, then it's tough. So you have to carve out a role and a position and make sure these people are happy. So, so, so I think we managed that pretty So well. what's the strategy now? Uh, if I understand correctly, you want, or at least what has been suggested in the media, is to use Hydro-Quebec as an incentive to get more um, uh, foreign investors to come into Quebec. Is that fair, or have they completely thrown you guys under the bus? Um, you're taking me down a, a very delicate road, <laughs> <laughs> which you said you would not do. Yeah, no, look, but I, I yeah, don't want to put you in any trouble. I just want to know, like, the direction, because you said that Hydro-Quebec was always part of the plan with the direction that Pierre Fitzgibbon wanted to give the economy department. How does this fit in? Well, you can't base your analysis like anyone who's worked in government said understands that you can't base your analysis of what's going on in government solely on media reports yeah. and articles so the journalists are, are doing their best but some of the coverage is not represented uh fairly the direction we're going i think the minister and uh, is gonna give more precision and more uh, precise indications of, of our program in the next um, in the next months, but uh, uh, for sure Hydro Quebec and that's that has been at the base of the logic of of our whole reasoning. Hydro Quebec is the largest company in Quebec in terms of theoretical value, mm -hmm. right? I think everyone knows that it's a huge company, it's a huge utility, and it has a huge impact on economic development. But it has an impact that goes far beyond uh, tariffs, electricity mm -hmm. costs, and everything, and, and prices. It's far more complex, and it goes deep into the industrial fabric of Quebec. So having government, having Hydro-Quebec um, uh, as, a, as a more valued asset for us, for Quebec, it's huge. You know, um, Sweden has IKEA, um, the Netherlands have this or that, Philips or whatever companies. Uh, Korea has Samsung. Quebec has Hydro-Quebec. Mm -hmm. We also have CGI and, and Bombardier and everything. But, but Hydro-Quebec is more than just part of that conversation. It's a huge company. I think it, in, if you see it that way, it makes sense that you would unite. Incorporate it with the business, yeah. And uh, energy. Um, I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I just want to focus a little bit on, um, you know, the CAC as a party going forward. You know, you mentioned before it's a coalition. I think Francois Legault is probably the best person to put these two camps uh, together. There seems to be a good cohesion. But again, like we said, there's people coming in that were more liberal. There's people that were with the PQ. Um, how do you see, because there's rumors uh, circulating around the fact that you know it may be the last mandate for uh, Francois Legault, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? We're not going to sit here and speculate. But going back to what we're saying about you know when the leader leaves and finding that right captain to keep that balance, is it difficult to manage people from completely opposite ideologies, PQ, liberal, under one kind of roof? And despite the fact that Premier Legault has done it the job pretty okay so far going forward is that going to destabilize things i mean what are the dynamics and obviously you, you can't discuss what's happening in caucus there and i'm sure it's chaotic as any other caucus but i often think okay what happens if you take Lego out of that equation that's a, how does how do the pq guys and the the the, the, the more liberal uh, guys come to terms uh well Maybe in the first few months of government back in 2018, that, that division was felt. But I think in the last years, the fact that we're a coalition, everyone's comfortable with that. And we don't feel that divide uh, between people's pasts as much as we might have in the first few months. So obviously the party's popular right now. So when the party's popular, the leader's popular, everyone loves the premier. Uh, he's our leader. Everyone's gathered around that. And so the divisions are not obvious. 
maybe if uh, down the road in six mandates uh, when he <laughs> retires, um, maybe that'll be different. But for now, we're all around the party as a, a party for economic development and for the protection and preservation of French in Quebec. So th those are the two pillars of the party. And I think everyone in the party is comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And going forward, the CAC is going to keep those two pillars. Maybe the environment will take a little more space. Maybe I don't, education will have a more prevalent. I don't know. But those two pillars are going to remain. And I think everyone in, in the staff, in the party, uh, the elected officials, everyone's comfortable with our positions on those two critical issues. And as long as people are comfortable with that, I think we're going to have a strong party. Alex, dude, thank you so much for coming. I don't want to take up too much time. I know that you're a busy guy. Um, you were kind of take out your tie when you came in. You saw me dress like a fucking homeless person. You're like, shit, I, I overdressed for this. Uh, no, I, I wanted to bring my cap, but I, I couldn't find it. I appreciate it, dude. It was good seeing you. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to... Um, uh, you know, I, I wish I can see you more often, but I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not delusional. I'm not going to say, hey, dude, let, let's go grab a beer. <laughs> I know what's going on in your life right now. Uh, I'm very happy for you. Uh, I'm excited that you're back into politics and that you're doing stuff that you're happy with. Um, it was a pleasure to see you again, man. And I love the fact that you shared your knowledge with, uh, with our audience. Uh, nice meeting you again. And the good thing is that every time we run into each other, we're back at the same place yeah. with the same easiness. And I love that about you. I love that about your podcast because when you listen to the podcast, you feel that you're in that kind of conversation. You mm -hmm. have a good voice. You have a good laugh. Everything flows. It's very natural. It's like having a conversation in a bar. I think people are comfortable with that, and that's why you have success. Thank you so much, buddy. Hope to see you soon. A bientôt. Ciao.